You may be seated. And when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 906. John here um, gives his account of the resurrection. And it's a large chapter. Instead of going in depth in any one of these sections, which I would commend to you, we're going to review the whole chapter um, and see how the Lord interacted with um, three uh, of his disciples or uh, groups of disciples. We're going to read the entirety of John chapter 20. We'll begin at verse 1. And I would remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as of yet... They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. 
on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from them, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for these narratives that you have given us of the resurrection and even the weeks after. Lord, as we meditate on these things, we would ask that you would meet us here. We'd ask that you would search our hearts and our minds, our lives, and that you would apply this, your word, to us. Lord, would you help us make connections? Would you help us to identify with your word? Would you minister to our hearts, our minds, our souls? We need you. Lord, we'd ask that you'd hear our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. I want to begin by telling you a story of a man named Stephen Callahan. Stephen Callahan was a boat designer who attempted to sail across the Atlantic Ocean alone. And his trip began remarkably well. He made it across over to Europe and then to the north, uh, core, uh, the north side of Africa, but during a midnight uh, storm, his, his boat was struck by a whale, what he thinks was a whale, and it ruptured uh, the hull of his boat, and water started pouring in, and there was uh, no stopping it. He had uh, no time to think, so he began frantically inflating his life raft while trying to, at the same time, uh, grab whatever he could. 
And when all was said and done, Callahan was in his rubber raft with a few tools, and he had also managed to uh, gather for himself enough food and water to last him about two and a half weeks. He had eight ounces of water, and he had odds and ends, raisins, nuts, things like that. He was 800 miles west of the Canary Islands, completely isolated and adrift on a raft in the middle of the open ocean. Days turned into weeks. So Callahan fish and, uh, fished, and whatever he caught, he, of course, had to eat raw. And he also um, set up uh, with tarps and balloons a little system to try to uh, collect the rainwater. And soon, uh, days turned into weeks and weeks to months. And throughout the entirety of this uh, ordeal, several ships passed by him. A couple of them were less than a mile away, and Callahan desperately tried uh, to signal them, but each time ended in failure. He felt utterly helpless and became increasingly depressed, as you might understand. He, he was filled with grief and fear and doubt. And that's what we see in the disciples after the crucifixion. Grief and fear and doubt. Maybe maybe you're here this morning struggling with those. The disciples, they felt lost at sea. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did it all have to end up like this? In this passage, you see that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. And you see that he remains a savior who brings grace to his hurting disciples. How does Jesus bring grace to his hurting disciples? That's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this chapter and we're going to just see how it is that he interacts with his disciples after the resurrection. We're going to start with our first heading, Jesus replaces grief with joy. Jesus replaces grief with joy. As we think about the things that happened on this Sunday morning, some 2,000 years ago, maybe it's important that we remind ourselves of the timeline of events that led us up to where we are in the gospel of John chapter 20. It was Uh, Sunday, right? Sunday morning here in John chapter 20. But only uh, the Thursday before Jesus was with his disciples having the Passover in the upper room. And you'll remember that after the dinner that evening, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus prayed and asked his father if there was any other way he could redeem his people other than the cross. And sometime after midnight, Judas arrived with a band of soldiers who arrested the Lord. And it was during the wee hours of the morning that Jesus was tried by the leadership of Israel who falsely accused him of blasphemy. 
By 6 a.m., Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And although Pilate found no fault in Jesus, he ordered him to be scourged and crucified. By 9 a.m., Friday morning, Jesus was hanging on the cross. And six hours later, at 3 p.m., Jesus was dead. The soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear in order to guarantee that he was dead. And then they removed his body and they gave his body to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. By 6 p.m., Jesus was lying in a sealed tomb. His body had been cleaned and it had been wrapped very carefully and laid in this new, fresh tomb with over a hundred pounds of spices. And then it was sealed. This was all part of the burial custom, with the exception of the seal, which was, of course, put there by Pontius Pilate. The Lord Jesus laid in this tomb until the resurrection, which took place sometime before dawn on Sunday morning. Shortly after he was resurrected, certain women came from the city to the tomb to anoint Christ's body with spices. At least four women were there, but there could have been even more. Matthew mentions Mary Magdalene and another Mary. Mark says that uh, that Mary was there with the mother of James. He also says that a woman named Salome was there. And Luke includes Joanna. Sometimes in scripture, it identifies a group of people by simply referencing one member of that group. We saw that even in our call to worship this morning. He referenced us, the church, God's elect, his people, by one name, Jacob, the patriarch. And he's doing something uh, similar here. And John is especially interested in telling Mary Magdalene's story. His, his gospel focuses attention on the intimate encounter between Mary and Jesus. So it's not strange that he only mentions her. He wants to bring our focus down on that interaction. And notice, too, that when Mary reports about the empty tomb to the disciples, notice what she says in verse 2. She says, we do not know where they have laid him. When these devoted women reached the tomb, it was daybreak. Uh, They could see that the stone had already been removed from the entrance of the tomb. And Luke tells us that they went in, but but that they didn't find the body of Jesus. So Mary ran until she found Simon Peter and John. And in verse 2, she tells them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. With that news, Peter and John began sprinting to the tomb. John arrived first, and he bent down to investigate what was going on in the tomb. Verse 5 says, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. 
Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying where the linen cloths were, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So John arrives at the tomb first, but he he didn't go in. Verse 5 says that he stooped and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there. And and that word uh, looked or or saw is the Greek word blepo, and it suggests a simple saying. John saw the grave clothes, but he didn't make anything of it. He just saw them and then, and then kind of moved on in his mind. He, he looked at them maybe quickly, if you will. But you'll notice that phrase appears twice, looked at the strips of linen lying there. It also says it with regard to Peter. You'll notice that in verse 6, when Peter came and he entered the tomb, it says that he saw the strips of linen lying there. The Greek word there is thoreo, for, um, from which we get our English word theater. Um, the idea is that Peter took a, a long, uh, careful, uh, studied look. He looked intently. He observed. And he saw that the grave wrappings were lying there just as they had been when they were wrapped on Jesus The appropriate space in between was exactly the same, but there was no body. And then John entered. After getting a closer look, he understood what happened. Verse 8 says that he saw and believed. You see, no one had done anything with the Lord's body. It had gone right through the grave clothes. Something supernatural happened here. Something miraculous. He was risen. Jesus was risen. He was alive. John believed in the resurrection. He was the first person in the whole world that believed that Christ was alive again. The apostles believed. But they They hadn't seen Jesus alive. Jesus was saving that for Mary Magdalene. She would be the first to see him. And it seems that the apostles left just as quickly as they came. Perhaps they wanted to tell others, or maybe they were afraid that they were going to be arrested as well. We're not given the details, but it appears that the apostles left before Mary arrived. Because where do we find her? We find her standing outside of the tomb, alone, uninformed, and weeping. She was sobbing. She was completely brokenhearted. She loved the master. She was overcome with grief. 
Mary was totally unprepared for what would happen next. Verse 11 says, Mary stooped, weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. You see, as Mary wept, she looked in the tomb as well, but she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been. And John doesn't give us Mary's reaction. Instead, he tells us that the angels asked Mary why she was crying. And that's because it wasn't an occasion for grief. This was a day, a cause for rejoicing. And then came the most unexpected encounter Mary could have imagined. Verse 14 says she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Why didn't Mary recognize Jesus? John doesn't give us an explanation. Maybe, maybe she was supernaturally prevented from recognizing him. Perhaps it was because her eyes were so full of tears. We don't know. But Jesus put an end to Mary's grief, and he did it with just one word, her name. Draw your attention to verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She knew that voice. Mary's eyes must have opened wide with amazement, with uh, excitement. She must have been astonished. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When Mary recognized Jesus, she embraced him. We don't know. We don't know how long she was holding on to him. Perhaps she fell on her face and grabbed on to his ankles. Whatever the case, Jerry, or Jesus urged her not to cling to him. And then he gave her the reason why. In verse 17, Jesus says, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, Mary was hanging on to Jesus for dear life because she thought she had lost him. And that's understandable, I think. But now she had him back. Jesus was essentially telling her, Mary, it's, it's okay I'm not leaving. We still have more time. I'm going to come and I'm going to be with the disciples. You don't have to hold me captive. And we see the heart of Christ here for his people. 
Jesus meets us in our grief. He comes to Mary to console her. He understands our pain. He understands your pain. The prophet Isaiah says he's acquainted with grief. And because he understands, he prioritizes those who grieve. You'll notice that he appeared to Mary Magdalene first, not not an apostle. He's concerned about every disciple, including you. Jesus comes to console his people and to replace their grief with joy. I said that Jesus was concerned about all of his people. Of course, that includes his disciples who were afraid. So Jesus gave Mary a task. He told her to go and tell the disciples that he was alive and that he would soon be ascending to the Father's right hand. And as the chapter continues, we see that Jesus is going to make a personal appearance to the disciples And when he does, Jesus replaces fear with peace. That's our second heading. Jesus replaces fear with peace. Peter and John had seen the empty tomb. And the rest of the disciples heard Mary Magdalene's report that she had seen Jesus alive. They gathered together that evening And they were struggling to understand just the significance of what had happened. Their anxiety was running high. The violent scenes of the crucifixion were in their minds. They they wouldn't leave. There was so much blood. They were filled with fear and dread. We know that because in verse 19, John tells us on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They probably wondered if they were going to be arrested soon. And then what would happen? Especially now that Jesus' body was missing from the tomb. The authorities must have enacted a plan. What was it? It's not hard to imagine that the disciples would have been on high alert that evening, listening for every sound, every footstep that was walking down the street. And they might have also been afraid to see Jesus face to face just before Jesus was arrested and led to his death, they declared their loyalty to the Lord. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, and all the other disciples, said the same thing. That's recorded in Matthew 26, 35. Peter said, I will lay down my life for you. And then hours later, he denied him multiple times. He had failed Jesus. They all did. Do you remember Peter's threefold denial of Jesus on the night when he was arrested? 
This was the absolute lowest point in Peter's relationship with the Lord. While Peter was warming himself by the fire, waiting to see what would come of Jesus, he was asked multiple times if he was one of Jesus' disciples. He said, no. No, I'm not one of his disciples. And to make matters worse, Jesus witnessed Peter's disloyalty, and Peter knew it. Luke 22 says that Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter and that afterward Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus knew exactly how his disciples were feeling. He knew that they were scared. He knew that they felt guilty He knew that they were disappointed in themselves. And although the door was locked, John tells us that Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. John gives the clear impression that Jesus appeared to the disciples without entering the door. This would be impossible, of course, for a normal human body, but Jesus now possessed a glorious resurrected body. And the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is, peace be with you. And then Jesus showed them his hands and his side, and repeated his words of blessings. Peace be with you. Before departing for the cross, Jesus had made a promise to them. He said, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. Now Jesus shows what he had done to provide that peace. Through a sacrificial death in our place, Jesus provides peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins. And the marks on Christ's body proclaim that God's just wrath against our sins had been satisfied by Jesus' death. The disciples saw Jesus' hands and they saw his side. And they saw his smile. They saw him alive and they knew that it was okay. Verse 20 says, Then they were glad when they saw the Lord. You see, Jesus replaced fear with peace. And as our text continues, we see that Jesus replaces doubt with hope. That's our third heading. Jesus replaces doubt with hope. The disciples must have been so relieved when Jesus came and comforted them. He he met them right where they were, and he removed their fear and provided them with true peace. But one disciple missed the whole thing. Verse 24 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples in the upper room. And when they told him about it, they didn't believe him. They said, listen, I've heard your testimony. And I can see that you're excited about what you think that you've seen. But I need to see it for myself. In fact, unless I see it for myself, I will not believe. The Lord is so gracious. He's often so patient with us. Even in our doubt, he lovingly addresses the weakness of our faith. And this is seen in the way he deals with the disciples. It's seen in the way he he demonstrates his concern for them. You see, he gave Thomas time to think. He gave him a week. You'll notice in verse 26, it says, eight days later. And that's one week later. The Jews counted inclusively like this, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, eight days. The next Sunday, Thomas gathered with the other disciples and the Lord provided Thomas with the opportunity that he was looking for. In verse 26, John writes, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus loved Thomas. Even though he had expressed his doubts, Jesus doesn't rebuke or ridicule him for his unfaithfulness. Instead, he leads him through his doubts to one of the greatest confessions contained in the New Testament. Jesus spoke to his heart and he said, peace be with you. And Jesus showed Thomas how he offered peace with God and eternal life. Just as in his earlier appearance, he showed Thomas the scars that he had received when he made his atoning sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And notice the pastoral care that he gives to Thomas. Jesus said, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it here in my side. Do not disbelieve. Believe. Jesus responded to Thomas's objections with grace designed to win his faith. And when Thomas saw the living Christ standing there challenging him to touch his wounds, he no longer placed any demands before 
his faith. Instead, his faith compelled him to drop all of his objections and immediately profess Jesus as Savior and Lord. Thomas spoke from the heart in a posture of worship and reverence and obedience. Consider verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He didn't call Jesus teacher or master or Messiah. Thomas called Jesus his Lord. He committed himself to Jesus for salvation, worship, and obedience. And he professed the deity of Christ, worshiping him as my God. Thomas worshiped Jesus as the Lord, the sovereign, the covenant savior of the Bible. He worshiped him as the one true and living God incarnate in the flesh for our salvation. Notice there's not a hint of rebuke from Jesus when Thomas calls him my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. With these words, Jesus put his blessing on anyone who would receive him as their Lord and their God, especially those who would believe without being an eyewitness. When I began, I told you about a man named Stephen Callahan who attempted to cross the Atlantic Ocean, but then became stranded at sea. After being adrift for 76 days, he was rescued by a group of fishermen off the coast of the Caribbean islands. And likewise, we've seen how the Lord rescued his disciples when they were adrift. In chapter 20, we see the love of the resurrected Christ he was crucified, died, and buried for our sins. And on the third day, he rose again. And as you look at this text, you can't help but marvel. Because Jesus begins serving his people immediately after rising. He begins tending to the needs of his people. Mary Magdalene was overcome with sorrow in grief at the loss of her master. Jesus came to her first. He said her name. And when she saw that he had risen, her grief was replaced with joy. And the Lord gave her a commission. He told her to go and to tell others about what she had seen and what she had heard. Then Jesus came to his disciples who were huddled behind a locked door in the upper room, scared and distraught. He came to them and he spoke words of peace. And he showed them the marks he had received from his atoning death that provided it. When the disciples saw that the Lord had risen, their fear was replaced with peace. And again, the Lord said, I'm sending you. Go and carry the gospel of peace to others. And the Lord came to Thomas, who struggled with doubt. 
the Lord met him in his weakness and shepherded him forward in faith. When Thomas realized who Jesus was and that he had risen from the dead, he exclaimed, my Lord and my God. Jesus replaced his doubt with hope. And then Jesus replied, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we stand before you as ones by your grace who believe. And yet, Lord, if there is anyone, anyone in this room who does not yet believe, we pray that you would meet with them, that you would show them the ways in which you have loved them, that you would meet them in grief and in fear and in their doubt. Lord, we'd ask that you would do a work in their heart. Lord, as your gospel has been proclaimed, not only here, but all throughout this country and even the world this day, we pray that you would do a mighty work. Lord Jesus, in accomplishing what you did on the cross, you've been given the nations as your inheritance. We pray, O Lord, that you would take each one, that you would bring this world to faith. We'd ask that you would send us forth to go and tell the world what we have seen and what we have heard. We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.